How you guys doing? Good? Man, I'm just, what a good half an hour we just had, man. Like, all right, I got a lot to live up to. Ephesians chapter 4, we're in a series we, we titled Contrast, and, and the, the purpose and the point of the series is to speak to the idea that the community that we have in Christ should at some level contrast with the community you would find in culture in the world. Uh, it, is not an, it is not this idea that you are, you are different. Like, we don't want to be so different we're not like anybody. We are like everyone else. A sinner saved by grace with struggles and frustrations and discouragements and dreams and visions and wants. And so it's not that. It's, it's really what this series is speaking to is what happens when we decide to follow Jesus and we're joined into this community of Christ, the community of God. What happens? What is different about this gathering than any other gathering you would find on the earth? What's different? And last week we talked about Ephesians chapter 2. And we're kind of hanging out in Ephesians. Uh, if you ever need to know, uh, my favorite book is always Ephesians. And part of it, I think, is because in this book, Paul's not correcting anybody. Paul's not trying to tell people, no, 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 you've got it wrong here, you've got it wrong here, you've got it wrong here. Really, in a lot of ways, he's trying to expand uh, their horizon. He's trying to expand their vision about what the church should look like, will look like, and give them an even more perfect picture of, of what the church will look like in the future. And so there's this, there's this encouraging part of Ephesians. There's this kind of uplifting, big-hearted, big-vision part of Ephesians that I really, really enjoy and I really love. And he talks a lot about how we relate to one another. Uh, Ephesians, if you want to be challenged in relationship, just open up Ephesians uh, because God will use that to speak some things into your heart about how you're living amongst others and you will be challenged. And how many of you know you only get stronger when you're lifting a little bit of weight. Amen? That's why I'm so ripped. And <laughs> I say that joke when Mayor's not here so that there's not as much laughter, you know, so I don't hear this giggle from the front row. But all you guys made up for it, so I appreciate that. Um, too much, yeah. And so we talked last week about this. Ephesians 2 speaks to this idea that we are being put together carefully by God, brick by brick, stone by stone, to be the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And while you can tend to major on the brick by brick part, that you play a part and you play a part and you play a part, and that's a big part of, of this whole series, and we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Really what we focused in on, what we zoned in on, was that, that this, is a, this is a group of people that's being put together that we might be the dwelling place, okay, where God lives so that when people come together here they encounter something they would not encounter anywhere else so the our our main desire our primary goal is that when people come into church on a Sunday morning or at a dinner party on a Wednesday night or join a team and serve or meet you for coffee on a Tuesday afternoon that in those moments they encounter something that's different than anywhere else because you're bringing with you and you are people now who the Spirit of God dwells where the Spirit of God dwells so there should be a difference about us it doesn't mean I'm greater it means now all of a sudden my life is built upon the cornerstone that is Christ Jesus the teaching of the Apostles and then what's really cool about that is you get added to that house. You're not the guest house. You're not like the house in the back. You are part of the house where Jesus is built and the apostles are built. And you get added to that house. Like, that's pretty cool. And we are here so that we could be literally on earth a dwelling place for God. 
where he lives. Not where he shows up every once in a while. Where he lives. He moved it from a place, the temple, to a people. And so, so that's the number one. That's the first and number one distinguishing characteristic of our community, and should always be, is that people would encounter God. If that isn't happening, then let's just have brunch. Right? Like if that didn't happen, we can gather. Look, the world's good at gathering. They, they get gathered around a lot of different things. Maybe the cornerstone is football. Maybe the cornerstone is a good movie. Maybe the cornerstone is a certain type of food. Maybe the cornerstone is a workplace. But, but listen, we gather around a lot of different things. If the church should gather around anything, it should be that God dwells here. And that, yes, he's with you by yourself, but, man, whew, when we all come together and bring that spirit and expectation and he dwells here in such a way, man. It's just, it's, it's incredible. I know you think you lead amazing worship by yourself at home. Right? But there's something about worship here that just goes to another level. Right? And so we talked about that. Today, I'm going to speak about um, one of my primary goals as a pastor and really as a person, I think. And I, I, this is signified in, uh, years ago when I was in high school and I was a freshman and I was on the basketball team. And uh, it doesn't mean I played. It just means I was on the team. It was a Christian school. They didn't cut nobody. And um, no, I was good. Okay, so lay off. I was, um, but I, 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 so I was on the, but I was a freshman. And our guys, this is a good basketball team. And, and so the, the guys uh, were playing. We got kicked out of the gym for a day. And, uh, and so we had to go practice in some dude's backyard. And Scott may have been here for that. Uh, and we had to go practice some dude's backyard. And, and these two guys who are buddies, have something goes on, and they get in a fight, and they're on the ground wrestling. And for some reason, I thought, myself, that I was the guy, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. I thought I was the dude who should do something about this. So I, I sprinted over to these two that looked like to me grown men, Right? And, and jumped on top and tried to pull them apart. And I could hear people going like, what is he doing? They will figure it out. Like, just leave him alone. And so unity has always been something at the very depth of my heart. that I, I just think God speaks to unity over and over and over and over and over again throughout the Bible. Using different men to speak it into the word. Like, unity is at the very core of who we are as believers. And it's why it's the one thing the enemy tries to uh, pick on more than anything else. Why he puts these little thoughts in your head about that person. Well, they meant it like this. Have you ever read a text message? It could have been like, hi. And you go, I cannot even believe it. And then you go and tell someone. And you go, could you see this? Yeah, they said, hi. And you're like, yeah. Huh. Yeah. And they're looking at you like, what are you upset? I don't, yeah, you should be upset. Obviously, there's something there I don't know about. We read text messages like it's from the worst person on the planet. They could be our best friend. And like, I cannot believe they said this to me. How dare they text me at 2.12 in the afternoon saying hi. Like I haven't had a tough day. It's amazing to me how we can so many times read into things and think into things that are so very much innocent and without malice. And for some reason, we think there is evil lurking. 
Because at the heart of us is this difficulty with us. We're good with me. We're just not always good with us. And, and the psalmist says this, that, that unity, uh, he says a bunch of different things about it. He uses a couple different illustrations. Don't have time to talk about it. He says unity is what God blesses. He starts the psalm. It's just about seven, eight verses. He starts the psalm and says uh, how beautiful it is when brothers dwell in unity or harmony, which is true if you have two children. You know that. It is beautiful. And then it ends it by saying because that, that unity, that is what God blesses. So Acts 2, all the disciples were together in one place. We said this last week. Guys, I'm just, this is, this is not my message. But Justin got done quick, so we got time. <laughs> together in one place. Together in one place is a redundant sentence. He was not trying to tell you twice that they were in the same vicinity. He was trying to tell you once that they were unified and once that they were in the same building. They were together, and they were in one place. And there's something about together in one place that the Spirit of God and the presence of God falls. And so when we walk in here, we're not just trying to make sure we get the right seat. We're trying to make sure we have the right heart towards the people we're with. And that we understand that our role on a Sunday morning and a dinner party or really any other time is that we would be people who lift the room because it is our responsibility to seek us, not just me. I find that the life in Christ is much more fulfilling when I'm pursuing it for us, not just for me. My marriage seems to be so much better when I pursue it for us and not just for me. And so here's this Ephesians. Man, I'm telling you, he, he just kind of lays it out there for you. So the distinguishing characteristic, one of the major contrasts should be the encounter with God, the presence of God. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Many of you guys have already done that. Ephesians chapter 4, reading out of the New Living Translation. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4 says, therefore I, and we'll go back to the therefore, because if you see a therefore, you need to go backwards a bit. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, just simply meaning he got arrested because he preached about Jesus, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been, everybody say have been. For you have been called. Justin said this, right? Every one of us have been called. For you have been called. Now let me just, again, set a standard here as we read this. There is an individual aspect to this. There is a personal aspect to this. You should take this personally. But if you do not take these verses corporately, you are missing a major part of what it's for. This was a letter written to a people, not just a person. So while you should be able to look in this and find yourself, what you should also be able to do is look in this and find us. Because he's saying you, and he's really not necessarily saying you. He's saying you, all of you. And so even in, and I'm just going to go, this is a, a side, okay? And you can find out really quickly. And some of you won't even know what this word means, and that's fine. Probably just don't even try to find out because it doesn't matter that much. But if, if you may find out really quickly where I stand on Calvinism, okay? Because Ephesians 1 says that you were predestined. Can I just tell you, he was not talking about Steve. He was talking about everyone. 
Jews had already been called, and now he's writing a letter to a bunch of Gentiles who had never felt called and never known they were called and never known they were for the church. And here he is saying to these people, you were called and predestined to be part of this plan, this great mystery which is Jesus Christ, this great mystery which is grace. You, all people, not just you, but you were called into the body of Christ. So that's why he says, you, those of you who were close, well, nobody was close except who? The Jews. And those of you who were far, who is that? Anyone who wasn't a Jew. Have been called close, and now you are dwelling in the same place. Okay, now you know where I stand on that. Don't get mad at me. It's okay. Some of you are still like, I don't know what it is. Don't find out. It is a meaningless argument. I'm just telling you. At the end of the day, it all arrives at the same place. And so here he is. He's going, therefore, you, you're all called. Every one of you are called. We'll talk a bit more about that next week. But every single one of us are here for a reason. You're called. And this is what I love about the life in Christ. I, listen, beg you to lead a life. I think that's important. Please lead a life. Please don't get hung up thinking once you get saved, life is over. You don't get to do anything fun anymore, and you got no joy, and you got no peace. And you, no, no, no. He's saying, please, because you've been called into this amazing grace, into this incredible family, because you've been called by God into this place, please lead a life. Live a life. It is the greatest testimony that there's something in you that's different is because you live your life worthy of the calling I've placed upon it. Meaning your calling is way up there. I want you to live moving towards that every single day of your life. Live towards that amazing high calling of Jesus. Are you with me? Because I'm fired up. Lead a life worthy of the calling because you have been called. All right, we're only on verse 2. Verse 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient and, uh, with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort. Everybody say make every. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, who is in all, and is living through all. So just so you know, I just want you to know, I really need you to know that you are important to this, that you matter to this. That one of the great contrasts of community in Christ is that everybody, everybody, everybody matters. Everybody matters. I don't know if you ever, have you ever gotten a new job and you go in for your first day and there's this, as much as you're confident in what you're able to do, you're walking into a brand new thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and you don't know if you should be 
ultra cheery, like just happy and smiling, cracking jokes, or uh, you, you don't know if you should just be quiet and shut up and not say anything. You, you really don't have a clue how you should be like, if you don't even know if you should move anything on the desk yet because you're not entirely sure they have moved the other person out, right? And you're just trying to figure out how you fit in this picture, how you fit in this story. It's kind of like the first day of high school. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you go to bed that night if you can get to bed that night knowing the next day you're walking into a thing that you're not entirely sure about. You just went from being the eighth grader or whatever in your school that you are the man and you're walking in as a freshman. Such an unfortunate name. The, you, are, you, are the, you are walking in going, I don't know how I fit in this. The friends change because high school's thing. And then all of a sudden you got these other people who are older. They, look, they all look massive and they look smart and they look like they know what's happening in life. And they act like it and they don't know. But they act like they know. Right? I was a youth pastor for a while. I know these things. And you would walk and you just don't know how do you fit in this, this picture. And, and even on the flip side of that, maybe you've been at a place where they've hired someone new. And you're not sure how they're going to interact and you're not sure how to treat them like should you welcome them in because maybe they ain't that good and they won't be here very long or or maybe like you're just trying to figure this thing out and that's kind of the scenario we find Paul writing to we, we find Paul writing to a city uh, that is is major in, in trade they, they they are one of the port cities they're, they're a massive player uh, in commerce and and they've got other gods set up in the city and they this is not a city that's one for Christ Paul spent three years here and he's still in this letter trying to to give people a picture of what it means to live in Christ and so he's working really really hard to get this thing done and and and, and so this is not a city that's all saved. This is not a city where everybody knows Jesus. This is not a city where everyone understands what's happening. This is a city where you've got the Jews who have been called for a long time, and everybody knows that. The Jews tended to lord that over people. Like, yeah, we are the special people, right? And then you've got these Gentiles who Paul had shown up and began to tell them, hey, you're part of this story too. This is your story as well. Like, you've been called into this glorious hope. You've been called into this new life. You've been called into this new thing. And so they're walking into this scenario, trying to figure out what that looks like. Can I move that pencil? Can I sit in that chair? Can I be a part of this conversation? Is that lunch table open to me? Am I allowed to be a part of this? And the Jews are doing the same thing. They're looking at the Gentiles going, is Paul really right on this? In fact, some of them fought it tooth and nail. They go, I'm not sure about, this isn't really how it should look. I don't, I don't, oh man, I don't, these guys, they don't get it. They have this other God and they do these other things and they don't do all the traditional things and they don't live up to the law and they don't, like I'm not really sure about this person. So Paul's writing a letter to these two sides of the coin, and he's saying to them, listen, I need you to understand something. You need to dwell in unity. Therefore, because you've been called to this grace, to this incredible love, to this incredible family, to this incredible new life, because of that reason, I need you to make every single effort to dwell in Unity. So maybe you're here today and you're for the first time and maybe you're going, I'm not sure I know Jesus. I'm not sure I love Jesus. I'm definitely not sure I've ever encountered God. And you're not actually sure you want to. And today I'm just going to tell you, that's okay. Hang out. We don't want anything from you. We just want a lot of things for you. We want God to change your life, love your life, and you to just walk out of here, head up, shoulders high, knowing God's for you. That's the number one desire. And then there's other of you that, man, you've been, you just got saved. Things just happened for you. You just committed your life to Christ and you're still trying to figure out, how do I fit into 
into this kind of scenario. And some of you have been in this game for a while, and you're still kind of doubting whether or not you play a part or you play a role. And then there's others of us, this is, tends to be a lot of Christians, there's others of us that look at other people and go, well, they don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They drink more beer than I do because I don't drink any beer. And, and, they, and they've got all, they, got, they say words I'm not allowed to say, and they do things I'm not allowed to do. And we begin to say, well, they probably can't be part of this. This lunch table is not for them. And the reality is, is Paul is saying to you, listen, I get it. There are some things, and even in the Bible, there are some gray areas There are some places where you're going to decide what your conviction is, and you're going to decide what your conviction is. And I need you to understand something. You need your primary goal. Your primary goal is to dwell in unity. Figure it out. In other words, I know my sons are not going to be the same, but they're going to be brothers. I know my son was, it's a little bit different now. We've got another, we got an eight-month-old hanging out in the house, and he's three years old. He, for a couple years there, he was the only guy. He got all the love. He got all the food. He got all, he got all the stuff. He got to watch his cartoons. He got to play with his toys, and now it's our toys, and it's our shows, and it's our food, and it's our, all of a sudden things change a little bit, right? And, and we have to, as people, be a community, a contrasting community, where it does not matter who you were or even what you're going to do. You are called into this amazing faith, this amazing, glorious grace, where we can fight for unity, make every effort for unity. And you are just as important and matter just as much to this as I do. Sometimes that's hard to say. Sometimes that's difficult to reconcile. We hear their story, and we hear their thing. And, and here's Paul writing to these people and saying, Listen, I get it. I understand. It's difficult. I understand uh, there's differences. I understand that you all don't come from the same place, the same background, of the same stuff. I get it. I understand that all. I get it all. But, but you need to understand your primary goal is to dwell in unity in spite of all of that, to be together in spite of all of that, to be at peace in spite of all of that. That's. That's your primary goal. Because I don't know about you, but in relationship, there always seems to be an opportunity for division. Right? Like, it's always. There always seems to be an opportunity for me to get upset with you and vice versa. Always. It always comes up. Like, I feel like every day I have an opportunity to be mad at somebody. (laughs) Every day. It's like I can wake up. I know God loves me, and I know I can be mad at someone. Right? It just seems like there's always, in my marriage, in my relationships, I I always have, with people on Facebook, uh, there's always an opportunity to go, I am distancing myself from you. And here's why Paul addresses this, and I already said it, but it's easier to do me than to do us. It is so much easier for me to aim for my own goodwill, for my own uh, 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 preference, for my own future, for my own desires, for my own wants. It's so much easier for me to look at myself and go, this is what I want, than it is to look at you and go, here's what they want, here's what I want, here's how we can work this thing out. Begin to realize I'm a brick, you're a brick, everybody's a brick, brick, and we fit together. And we make this thing work together. Are you with me? And so it's important for us to understand that God is working through you and working through me. And that unity takes effort. I've never met a marriage that stays a good marriage just because they liked each other 15 years ago. Never. 
I've never met a friendship that stays a great friendship just because you were, you were buddies in high school. I, I, I've never met, I've never found unity that just happens. Ever. I've, I've never found togetherness that just shows up. I've found that unity requires of me effort. In fact, you will find, as you read through any different translation, and even the words here, the words used here mean so much more than just like try. It's like be intentional, always, in everything you do. Make every effort. There are times where I read phrases in the Bible and wish they weren't there. Right? Like forgive your neighbor. Yeah, yeah. Love your neighbor. Do you know my neighbor? Come on, man. There are times where, God, I don't think you knew all things because you would know I can't love them. Right? But here's for us, we have to be aware. We have to be understanding. We have to be intentional about effort. Because that phrase, make every effort. I wish it would have just said, like, try once. Right? Um, make a list of 12 things you could do and pick three. That's, I wish that's all it was. But it says make every. That's pretty all-consuming, right? Every. That, like, that's every. Everything. There's no Greek. Like, I'm not giving you anything off the hook. Like, you are. It's every. Every effort. Make every effort. Make every effort, every effort, even that little thing that you're doing just to kind of reserve some space for yourself. No, make every effort, every little thing, every small word spoken. Listen, can I just tell you one of the greatest enemies to your unity? Your words. I know that's not surprising. I'm not talking about the words you speak to them. I'm talking about the words you speak to others about them. Because I can just tell you this. I can just tell you this. I, if you are speaking things about someone, there's no way you will ever make the effort to love someone. You just won't. Because you have, you have your words locate you. And so the moment you begin to speak things about someone, you have already decided where your heart is going to reside. And so now, you can't make the effort. Because you've positioned yourself. Uh, some of us need to pray for people instead of talk about people. Why do you need to love your enemy? Because if you love your enemy, someday they're going to become your friend. If you love their, if you will pray, listen, it is so hard to dislike someone you're praying for. Like it really is. Now I know you, you go, well the psalmist did it. Can I just tell you something? Every psalm you ever read that's negative about people at the end of the day realizes they need to work on themselves too. If you keep praying, if you keep praying and you keep praying about somebody, there will come a time where all of a sudden something clicks in your heart and you begin to speak life over them and you begin to speak hope over them and you begin to find yourself drawn to these moments where you can actually do something about it. Make every effort. Now, here's what I also, this is my love-hate relationship with this phrase. Make every effort. You want to know? I, I don't like it because, I mean, I have to make every effort. But you know what I like about it? It's effort. It's effort. 
He doesn't say, be perfect in dwelling in unity. He doesn't say, do everything right. He doesn't say, make every step correctly. He doesn't say, if you mess this up, I'm going, man, I'm going to show back up on earth early. Like, he doesn't do any of that. He says, make every effort. Try. Do your best. He actually gives you an opportunity to live in the grace he's given you because now it's not about whether you do relationship well. It's about whether or not you will do your best to live in relationship. I've found that relationship gets better as, you, as long as you continue to work on it. In fact, another translation I found says, make it your aim. Make it your aim. And I, found I, I can't aim at something and make it the first time. It's very rare. Right, And if I do hit it the first time, I quit right then because it ain't going to happen again. But if I can aim at something enough over time, consistently, regularly, and keep that aim the same, then I can get better and better and better at what I'm aiming at. So every time you wake up, God, I'm going to love that person. There's going to be an opportunity for division. There's going to be opportunity for anger, but I'm going to love that person. Make every effort to dwell in unity. Now, now there's something that happens right before this part. Make every effort to dwell in unity. Actually, let me make one more point on this verse. This is a big, this is a good verse. Make every effort, make every effort to keep yourselves, and that's a big one, keep yourselves. Not to keep someone else in line, but to keep yourselves in line. Just, I'm just going to throw that one in there. We ain't got to preach on that one. Keep yourselves. And it says this, in the Spirit. Now we talked about, Ephesians 2 says what? That this is the house of God where, people, where the presence of God, where the Spirit of God dwells. Okay. Then it says to us, make every effort to stay united. Stay in the what? Spirit. Now here's what I think is really, really important. This word in is the biggest word in the Bible. It really is. It is the most important word in the Bible. You think it's love and you think it's faith because the Bible says it is. So just go with me on this. But the Bible says over and over and over again through different variations that you are who you are in Christ. That it is, it's actually less about your perfection and more about your position that allows you to be who God's called you to be. That your life, Paul says this, your life is wrapped up in Christ. And so here he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to dwell in unity in what? The spirit. Not the style of music. Not the type of clothes. Not even your basic theology. Like, I want you to dwell in unity in what? The spirit. My primary aim, my, my primary desire, my primary hope is that in the spirit of God, in the Holy Spirit, I would be united with you. Because it's his to give anyways. Because, I don't know, we just read the word keep. That's not a word of start. It says keep. Unity didn't start with you. Jesus unified us. Jesus paid the price, connected us to him, and then in so doing, connected us to each other. So, so, so he's not saying create the unity. He's saying keep it. I gave my life for that. I made it. I, I, I created a unity between you that never would have happened any other way. So what I need you to do is to keep the unity I've created. 
You don't create the unity. You don't get to choose whether or not the person sitting next to you is sitting next to you. We do not give you that option in this church. There are no seat requests. Like, there's no reserve seating. Like, you, you, there are people around you that show up at your dinner party, show up at your workplace, show up in your, your street, and guess what? They're there, and you don't get to choose. And the reality is, is that God has said, you know what? I, I've, I've, because of what I've done through Jesus Christ, I've unified you as people, and it's now up to you to keep it to maintain it. In fact, that word keep is one of the only words in these verses that stays the same throughout almost every translation. That word keep. Use a bunch of different words for united. They use oneness and together. And they use a bunch of different words for make and all that. But there's one word that stays pretty much the same. The only other other version says maintain. Every other one says keep. This unity has been given to us. It's a gift. How cool is it? He blesses unity and then he gave us unity. I feel like he set us up. And now it's up to us to keep. Now there's a four, there, I, I really struggled with what happened in verse 2. Not because I didn't like it, but because I knew that we could have sat on verse 2 for a really, really long time. And just for reference, let me read it to you. Verse 2, it says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. <laughs> I love the because of your love because it doesn't say because I think you love each other. It says because you love each other. This is not the kind of love you feel. This is the kind of love you choose that you then begin to feel. And he gives all these words, and I was trying to figure out how can I show this? How can I speak this? How can I explain it? How can I talk about it without, like, really spending three hours on each one? How can we really just... And then I, I just last night, I just thought of this, and, and I'll just tell you like this. Every one of those, every single one of those is contingent upon your revelation of God's grace towards you. Being humble, you know God's the one like you ain't all that you ain't perfect you understand that there's sin in your life you understand there was sin in your life you understand there's still struggles in your life but God set you free God loves you and gave you overflowing life so you're humble you're patient because God's patient with you because God loves you so much that he will never leave you he'll never forsake you and there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from his love he is patient Come on, just look over your life. I think about times I discipline my children, and I go, I, man, i got to work on this patience thing. Because I could just I just try to picture sometimes, like, if God was as upset with me as I get upset with my kids sometimes, I mean, I would I definitely wouldn't be up here. Right? We, this is, we're all people. We, we just need patience. And making allowance for each other's faults, come on. In fact, one of the words there is tolerate. Like, I don't, this is another one of those phrases. I'm going, God, why? It's in that 1 Corinthians 13, right? That people make me read at their weddings, and I go, you sure you know what you're talking about? Because this is not easy. Make allowance for each other's faults. That means giving them room to mess up and love them all the same. Why? Because God gave us an allowance. Because God, our Father, said, I know you're going to mess up. I know you're going to, you're not going to handle it perfectly. I know you're not going to get it all correctly. I know you're going to mess up relationship. I know you're going to begin to tell me that I don't love you. And you're going to actually think that I don't want the success for your life. And I don't want a future for your life. You're going to begin to think bad thoughts and begin to be insecure. And you're going to begin to think that I'm not for you and with you. And you're going to, all these kind of things. And I'm just telling you, I'm going to make allowance for your faults. Jesus Christ's cross does not just cover your sin now. It covers your sin always. And it's, it has, listen, you, you, you got to understand. 
sin, this grace abounds so much more than your sin. And so if I can make allowance for you, if you can receive this grace freely, then you better, oh come on, you better give this grace freely. That we have to be people who make allowances for one another. And all of those things, everything you see in that verse, is, is it's all based upon a revelation of what God has done for you and me. That your sin is not worse or better than my sin. The moment we begin to think your sin is worse than my sin, then I will never serve you the way God's called me to serve you. I will never love you the way God's called me to love you. Because I will always think I have a one-up on you. And I can always pull that out whenever I need to. Well, you messed up this and I didn't. Listen, God's grace covers all things. And so he's over all and he's in all and he's working through all. So there is not a single person on the planet that God doesn't want to use, God doesn't want to touch, God doesn't want to love, God doesn't want to bless. And we have to be people who keep the unity that God has created. Now I told you I was going to go back to the, to the therefore. And I'll end with this, because in Ephesians 3, and I'll just read the verse, because I could say it, but it's not going to be as good. Paul seems to be good with words. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And this won't be on the screen. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through what? His spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think, even uniting us to people we don't like very much. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I ask you to live a life worthy of your calling, that you would make every effort to dwell in unity, because I have loved you so fully, so deeply, so largely, that there is no way if you understand my love that you won't love somebody else. This is all contingent upon our understanding how much God actually loves us. This is all based upon that revelation. And if we fully understand that love, then the love we give to people will be without compromise. It will be without condition. And we will begin to be the contrast community God has called us to be because we are uncommon in our community. We are, it is uncanny. It's unnatural how much we seek to dwell in unity because of what God has done for us. How hard we work to stay together in one place because we want the presence of God to fill this place and to fill our lives. Listen, there, if there is an uncommon unity here, there will be an uncommon momentum here. There will be nothing that can stop us if we will make every effort to dwell in unity. And it is not based upon you and how awesome you are or how awesome they are. It is based upon you are united in the Spirit of God that shows you how much God loves you, cares for you, desires for you, and wants to do more than you can ask or think. And in that context, and in that revelation, is the ability and the strength to love people that don't look like you, talk like you, act like you. And that's where we'll find uncommon 
unity that leads to an uncommon movement of people that changes the earth, changes our city, and sees Jesus on every street and in every heart. Because we're together. Could you bow your heads? Lord, we thank you so much that you're here with us. We thank you that you live here, that you dwell here. And God, we will make every effort, every effort to dwell in unity. God, I want, there's two things I want to pray about today. One is for some of us, we, we aren't experiencing that uncommon unity. We, we haven't made that every effort thing you speak of. And for some of us, probably for many of us, there are things in our life, things that we're walking through, things that we're dealing with, people that we can right now think about that are, are, are disjointed from us. And we need to make every effort to dwell in you. It is our highest calling that we would dwell in unity as the church so that we could be the best dwelling place and best representation of God on the earth. And that we could fully experience who you are. And the second thing I want to pray for are those people who don't feel like they're called, who don't feel like they belong in this family, who because of their past or because of where they're from or because of their background, for, because of the struggles they have or because of what, look, that they feel like they are not part of this, that they can't sit at this table, that they can't be part of this family, that they can't join in because Jesus would not be pleased with them. But Lord, I, I pray that today they've heard and they know that God, it is not based upon our perfection. It is based upon your presence. It is based upon the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. We are simply filling our role, knowing that every single one of us have been called to live. If that's you, I'm just going to make this quick. If that's you and you'd go, that first one where you'd say, you know what, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm in disunity. I'm in division with some people, with some things, with some situations, and I need to make every effort. I just want to pray with you. I want to agree with you. And this is not a time to debate about if you even think there's some space for unity, then you need to just go with this. Take some courage and boldness. And, and this is going to make every effort here. W would you just right now, would you just raise your hand? You go, you know, I've got some relationships to restore. I've got some things to work on. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Some of you, it's your marriage. Some of you, it's a friendship. Some of you, it's a workplace thing. Come on, so good. Wow. I mean, I can tell you something. Something's going to happen the moment you begin to make every effort. God's presence is going to show up in that relationship in a way you never expected it to. Do not be prideful. Do not be above it all because God is above it all, and he's working in it, and he's working over it, and he's working through it in Jesus' name. God, we pray that over every life. He says, you know, that's me. Lord, I thank you for their hum humility. I thank you for their patience. I thank you that they're making allowance, and I thank you that they love people. Holy Spirit, guide them and lead them. Let the Spirit of God be where they find unity in Jesus' name. If there's anybody in here who say, you know what? I don't feel part of this family. I haven't felt like I've, I've really clicked in. And maybe it's not even the people who've done it. Maybe it's just me. I continue to think that somehow, someway, I'm not qualified, that I don't meet the mark, that I somehow do not belong at this table. And yet, God, you're saying there's always a chair for you. You you have said to us that it's actually already been made for us if we would simply receive it and walk into it. And today, maybe there's some of us who, who walked away from this table a long time ago, and now today, in this moment, want to decide to walk back into this 
relationship and walk back into this unity and walk back into this relationship with Jesus, this understanding of his love for us. And maybe for some of us, for the very first time, we're going, you know, I want to make that decision to live in that kind of unity. I want to have an uncommon unity with Jesus and with his people. I want to walk in that, that forgiveness, that grace, that, that love, that peace, that strength. If that's you and you say, I just want to make a te- step towards Jesus. I want to take one step towards Jesus today. Would you just, right now, would you raise your hand, maybe for the first time in a long time, or maybe it's the first time ever. If that's you, would you just, boldness and courage, raise your hand today. Thank you so much. That's so awesome. Oh, that's so good. Come on, so good. Jesus makes a way. Amen. Lord, we pray over that person who raised their hand. God, we celebrate them. But we are so thankful that they are part of the family. God, they don't have to make this unity. You've already made it. You've already paid the price. You've already made the way. You have already made their life clean, our life clean. You have already set us free. And so now we can walk in this. And I pray that over their life in Jesus' name, that they would receive your grace, receive your truth, and walk in it every day of their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.